0: how much I miss my father he was a great man and an even better friend and I know that he's enjoying time with his holy father now in heaven celebrating the fullness of life but dad I just want you to know I'm still thinking about you I love you and happy father's day You are a great example of what a father is, and I thank God for the time that he's allowed us to spend together. To all my coworkers and friends and fellow co-laborers in the ministry and body of Christ, we salute you today and uh, all the fathers, we salute you as well. Happy Father's Day to you all. And of course, the greatest father that any of us could have ever known Our Holy Father, God, Happy Father's Day. I've said this repeatedly and everyone pretty much knows that this is true about me, if you know me. I'm not a a holiday preacher. I've got to give you what God gives me and that's what I'm going to do today. You know, this past week, what I've seen in humanity is both troubling and exciting. I say troubling because mankind, humanity is embracing sin, celebrating sin. It's troubling because I know that The God of this world has blinded the minds of many who have now accepted that which is wrong according to the word of God as right and have negated the word of God and called what is true wrong. I'm excited because the word tells us that when we see these things, look up because our redemption draws nigh. I shared with a very good friend of mine, a brother, as we were talking about some of the things that we see and the frustrations that we uh, experience, that it's when we see things like this, humanity at its brink, fully, wholeheartedly, not just engaging, but accepting and celebrating sin That we should begin to prepare because the bridegroom comes. We should have our bags packed and be ready to go. We should be in a place like Israel was in Egypt before God sent the death angel into the city and began to kill all of the firstborn. Israel had to be ready for the release. So when the command came, they would just go. From what I see, I can only encourage you to be ready, to be ready for the return of the Lord because there are going to be people in your circle who do not know the Lord. And you may be walking with them in the days that fall after this one. And it could be even this day. And while you're walking with them or fellowshipping with them because they have rejected what is true, they will see you disappear. You will be like Enoch where they will say he was and then he was not. Where did he go? He was not. I encourage you in these times to not be bashful or afraid to declare the word of truth because the world is hurting. The world has been deceived. The world needs the truth and we that are in the body of Christ have the truth that the world needs. So I encourage my brothers and sisters across this globe to not be afraid to share the word of truth today. I know it's Father's Day and we want to celebrate fathers, but there is such a greater need to share our Holy Father with the world. Because many of our family and even those in the body, and we're going to talk about this a little bit today, Even those in the body are going to come to the point where they stand before God and they're going to say, didn't we do all these great things in your name? And he's going to say, depart from me, ye who work evil. For I never knew you. Let us not be in that place. And we're going to talk about some of that today. But I want to encourage you to be ready. The last poll that I saw about holidays, Mother's Day was the second best rated holiday. Christmas was number one. Father's Day, was number 17. So basically, it's Jesus and then your mama. Ghosts and goblins that are celebrated on Halloween get more credit than fathers. Now, while this is a joke that I've heard, it's sad. And true at the same time funny and not so funny I know that the father is the covering of the family and the God of this world has attacked that covering so that what makes up a family can be destroyed because in the destruction of a family In the absence of a father, it becomes even more difficult to understand, to accept, to receive the love of our Holy Father when we don't know what it is to be loved by any father. People of God, the world is in a place of devastation. And I know that this is Father's Day, and, and I'm not trying to bum you out, but I have to tell you what's on my heart from the Lord and what is true. But let me let me just get to the lesson today. I don't want to be on a soapbox, and I don't want to hold you. I know that you've prepared things for your fathers, or you're going to go celebrate or remember your fathers on today, those that have already transitioned. And I, I want to give you the opportunity to spend as much time doing that as I possibly can. But God has given me a word to share with you. And I hope that you're getting as excited about God's word as I am. You see, once you've gone through the process of reading scripture and interpreting it, the next step that I told you we would talk about today is the process of receiving the word into your own life. You see, application of what you receive makes the difference between experiencing what the word says as your reality or it just being a fog or a dream. You see, if the word of God is not transforming you personally, then you will not be equipped to disciple others or experience the lasting peace and success, the abundant life that it promises. So before we get into the nuts and bolts of systematic exposition, let's first take a look at how the Word of God works in your life, is designed to work in your life, can work in your life. There's this word, it's a fancy word, it's a big word, multi-syllable word called sanctification. Sanctification. And as I mentioned a week or so ago, when a person is born again, they receive a new nature by the animating power of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 1 and 23 teaches us this. The idea that we have to tarry for the Holy Ghost and these things, old school teaching, while it had its place, is not necessarily accurate as it relates to the conversion of a believer. You see, your flesh, your humanity will never be drawn to God. It takes the outside influence and spiritual power of God working in you to open your heart and mind to the place where you can receive him. Now, the new nature that you receive continues to mature throughout your Christian life, your Christian journey here in the earth. Now, don't think for one minute that your old nature is not going to fight against this new nature that God has created in you, even though you have the spirit life within you. In order for your soul, the very essence of who we are, to become what God wants us to become, to become conformed to the image of Christ, the living word of God, we must embrace the written word of God. Now what I'm about to share with you could be one of the most important principles that you will ever grasp as a believer And it is paramount to the level of success that you will have in this life as a believer Now with this concept in mind, consider what James writes to us This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear Slow to speak and slow to anger, James 1 and 19. So James is talking to Christians. This is a, uh, a, 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 a letter or an offering or a writing that's not to the unsaved, but to those who have a relationship with Jesus. How do we know this? Because he calls them beloved brethren. So, these verses apply only to those who have trusted Jesus for their salvation. Now, James follows his introduction with a command that is part of the formula for. Uh, preachers and teachers on true life transformation and it's vitally important for you to grasp this formula because too many of my brothers and sisters standing in pulpits across this nation have failed to adequately deliver this word of truth and this is why so many know Jesus they know information about him. They know facts about him. We talked about this in our Bible study at length just this past Tuesday. But they don't really know him. James says that everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, the question you might be asking is this. Well, quick to hear what? Well, we'll find out in a few verses in this passage that we are to be quick to hear God's point of view on any and every matter. Foundationally today, I'm going to be teaching from James 1, 22 through 25. So if you want to jot that down, highlight that, that's kind of the context from where I'll be coming. Another question that you might be asking is this, slow to speak What? Well, we are to be slow to speak our point of view on a matter. And whenever the perspective of God's word or of another person doesn't match our own perspective, we should be slow to get angry about it. However, we often do the exact opposite of what the formula for success details in truth for us. You see, we're quick to espouse our viewpoint on a matter and slow to hear others, especially God's point of view. And anytime our point of view is in contradiction with somebody else's point of view, we have to have a problem between us. But we should be quick to receive God's point of view. You might be wondering, why should we be quick to receive God's point of view? Well, James tells us, therefore putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receiving the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. So first, that was in James 1 and 21, in case you're checking the text. First, James tells us to remove anything that will prevent us from receiving the word And here's the key, implanted. Somebody ought to jot that down, put that out on Facebook. The word implanted in me. He then instructs us to receive the word implanted, which is able to save our souls. You see, this is where principles of interpretation and exposition begin to come into play because when you look at the context of the passage, you learn that the audience to whom he is writing is already saved, yet he's talking about salvation. He just called them his beloved brethren, yet he is also saying that their souls need to be saved. How can both of these statements be true at the same time? When you and I trusted Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, our souls were saved eternally, but our souls were not saved, fully transformed automatically in history. So when you trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, you brought your issues to the cross. You brought your past, your bondage, your propensities, and your problems to the cross. Jesus saved you for heaven in a flicker of time, but he saves you on earth progressively. He saves you on earth progressively. 1 Corinthians 1 and 18 says that the word of the cross is foolishness, but to those or to us, who are being saved, it is power. Let me give you one of the most famous scriptures, people saved, unsaved, could probably repeat this as I started verbatim. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life, John 3, 16. It's amazing when you think about in the middle of that verse is a word that is often shot right over, misunderstood, misinterpreted, and actually in a lot of cases because of the way we respond to it, it is believed to not even be There. I give you a second to think about. Let me just repeat it for you again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, a lot of us miss the word should. Should. If I believe, I would expect I would not perish. Yet we've misunderstood and misinterpreted what God is trying to reveal to us. He says, and I always say, there is no word out of context or out of place rather in scripture. He says, if you believe, you should not perish, which tells me there's a possibility that I could perish. But let me get back to the text and we'll, we'll circle around back to this because hopefully by the end of today or the end of this next however long I'm here, you'll kind of be able to put this together. But in 1 Corinthians 1 and 18, it says that the word of the the cross is foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it is power. So in this verse, now keep in mind John 3 and 16, we clearly see his reference to us as being saved or sanctified. Now, one of the reasons that we are not experiencing total victory, even though we desire and promise to do better, is because the implanted word of God has not been fully embraced. God says if you will ever receive what has been implanted within you, it will deliver your soul. Only the word of God which quickens you by the power of the Holy Spirit can bring you to a level of maturity in Christ and only God's word and spirit can sanctify your soul and conform all of who you are to become the very image of his dear son. Now hold on here real quick bishop. You may be thinking this to yourself. I've said a lot here in the just the last 2 or 3 minutes. You might be thinking that you've studied the Bible for years. My soul has not changed or it changes for a while and then goes right back to how it was before, before I ever even opened the Bible. Why isn't the word of God, the Bible, the scripture working for me like all of these preachers tell me it's supposed to? Well, the answer is found in this one simple word and you need to write this down, receive. You see, it is possible to have the word implanted, but to still have not received what has been implanted. You see, the word receive means more than just simply hearing, possessing, or knowing something. It means to welcome The something for which you know Let me give you an example When you welcome someone Who is standing at your door To come into your home You invite that person in That person is not within your home You didn't just stand at the door And say you're welcome But you ushered Who was waiting to come in At your door That person Which enables your welcome To now be experienced And lived out I'm not sure how many of you would feel welcome if I kept you at the brink of the door, but I never let you in. While you are at my home, you're not really at my home. While I may have said, welcome to you at the door, I have not really ushered you in to the inner sanctum of my home. And when we welcome the word of God, it goes to work in our souls. And as we have uh, uh, referenced several times in these past few weeks in Hebrews 4 and 12, we learn that the word of God is active and alive. The Bible also calls the word food for the soul. So just like you have food for the body that supplies uh, proper nutrition to enable your body to function well, there is also food for the soul. Now, Jesus said that man should not live on bread alone, but on what? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, Matthew 4 and 4. Now, the book of Hebrews also tells us that when this food reaches the soul, it pierces as far as the division of the soul and the spirit, Matthew 4 and 12, or Hebrews 4 and 12. But in order for it to do this, it must be received and welcomed into your heart. You see, God's word is designed, it's orchestrated, it is purposed to bring about growth and transformation within those who receive it. The key for the implanted word to accomplish its life-giving work is the soil of the heart into which it is planted. You know, I didn't think I would care too much about soil until I started working on my wife's raised bed garden. And we started doing all the research. And of course, I have a friend that we tease back and forth about many different things. He teases me because my wife and I went out and found organic dirt because we, in our research, came to the understanding that this dirt was designed to produce the results that we were looking for. In other words, it was soil that was created and designed to allow that which is planted in it to grow well. And of course, I shared this with my friend. You know, I got to show him how smart I am as a farmer. Not so much. And he laughed at me and he said, isn't all dirt organic? And that's kind of the way he does these little quick jabs. And of course, I just went away puzzled. But what we realized is soil is important. If you do any study on planting, you'll find that soil is in some cases almost more important than the seed that's being planted in it. Because you can have the best seed, but if it's the wrong soil, It's not going to grow. So how well the soil is able to receive the word will impact how well it transforms your life. Now, Jesus makes this clear in his parable of the sower in Matthew 13, 1 through 23, and Luke 8, 4 through 15, which if you have some time to refresh your memory, you should look at it. But the effectiveness and the productivity of the sower's work was not related to the seed, but rather to the soil into which the seed fell. So the soil is the condition of the heart of the one who hears God's Word. If your heart is not good soil, then the Word cannot produce fruit and bring about transformation in you. Matthew 13 and 23. So just as bad soil will keep good seed from accomplishing its goal, so an unresponsive and rebellious heart will keep God's word from bringing sinners to salvation and Christian believers to a level of maturity that God has designed. We must continually ask God, soften our hearts to your word through worship and the confession of sin and the decision to seek to please you Lord instead of our flesh or our desires or our choices the more tender the heart becomes the more powerfully the word will be able to do the work of sanctification within your very soul to you that believe remember your soul is your essence it's your mind it's your emotion it's your will and the writer of Hebrews tells us that the word will judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, the core of who you are, and as the word of God works on you, it will begin to dominate your thoughts, it will dominate your feelings, it will dominate your emotions, it will dominate your will, so that the actions that you present reflect the viewpoint of God, and those responses will become natural or automatic for you. But the only way for this to happen, I'm going to say a crazy word here, is if you become intimate with the word. You see, the Bible says that the power of this transformative word is tied to what the enemy is working so hard to destroy in this season that humanity is in. And that is relationship. You see, the power comes when the living word, that's Jesus Christ, begins maturing our nature, making us more like him. And this ongoing abiding presence with Jesus allows our soul to be fed the spiritual nourishment of the word of God. The word is welcomed when we are pursuing a relationship with our savior and not just information as a preacher for a sermon or a lesson. Often time when young preachers and teachers would come to me for counsel or instruction, one of the main things that I shared with them is something that was shared with me from my spiritual father. Every time you go to the word, it's not to prepare a sermon, or at least it should not be because as much as God wants to use you to teach or to preach or to expound, he also wants to mature you. Not everything that God gives you is for everybody else. Some things you ought to keep to yourself. You see, as our soul is fed, it becomes transformed. It is then that we find ourselves truly abiding in a power that is not our own. Our thoughts reflect his thoughts. Our messages reflect his messages. Our views reflect his views. And our counsel reflects his counsel. And when we receive the living words from Jesus Christ on an ongoing basis, his power will manifest itself in our lives and even for our pastors in your ministries but see the power of God's word implanted within you is only manifested when you choose to abide with the living word Christ himself and this is a critical aspect of receiving the word of God for the purposes of life changing and empowering even your own ministry And all are called to minister the grace of God in the earth. For every believer is a minister of God's love, a minister of God's grace, a minister of God's truth. You don't need a pulpit. Even where I stand is testimony. I don't even need a physical church to declare what is true. You see, abiding in Christ is another name for intimacy with Christ Christ wants to express his life what is intimacy about it is the ultimate expression of the fullness of who I am that ties me to the one to whom I am intimate with this is why you can't be intimate with everybody and Christ wants to express he wants to be intimate with you He wants to express his life through you, which comes through your abiding in him. Abiding means just what it says. It means to remain, stay put, to keep the connection strong. It's a freeing way to live because it means you can take a deep breath and just get to know Jesus. It takes away all the self-induced struggle. I heard a story you know I like to tell stories especially ones that I hear because I'm not a good story fabricator but I can repeat one pretty good and this story is told that a bulldog and a poodle were arguing one day and the bulldog was making fun of the little poodle calling the poodle weak and a little runt who couldn't do anything then the bulldog said I got a great idea. I challenge you to a contest. Let's see who can open the back door of their house the fastest and get inside. Now the bulldog was thinking that he would turn the doorknob with his powerful jaws and just open the door. While the poodle was too small even to reach the door on, his, uh, on the back of his house. But the bulldog's uh, surprise, the poodle says... I can get inside my house faster than you can. I accept the challenge. So with the poodle watching, the bulldog ran to the back door of his house and he jumps up to the doorknob. He latches his teeth and his paws around the knob and he tries to turn the knob, but he can't get enough of a grip. There was no traction on the knob so that he could turn it. And he finally had to quit in exhaustion. Now it's the poodle's turn at his back door. Go ahead, you little runt. The bulldog would growl at the poodle while trying to soothe his wounded pride because he couldn't get in. The poodle went to the door and he scratched a couple times. The master not only opened the door but lovingly picked the poodle up in his arms and carried him inside. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, what is the moral to this story? Well, there's a stark difference between the bulldog and the poodle. And that difference is in the relationship that was demonstrated. You see, some of us believe ourselves to be bulldogs. It's a whole lot of grunting and growling and trying when Christ wants us to just come close to him. You see, there is a process to intimacy with Jesus. And that is remaining in his word. You see, he says, Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you don't believe me, read John 15 and seven. It's right there. He says that if we remain in him and his words remain in us, then we can ask what we want and it will be done. We can ask for his blessing over our family, over our ministry, the expansion of our church, the health of our, uh, fa- of our family and friends and uh, whatever and more. And if these are God's will, he will grant them to us. And it's absolutely essential that you let God's word be at home in you. Well, you might be thinking to yourself, why? Why does God's word need to be at home? Because if you want revelation, God's word is God's revealed will for you. John 8 and 31, 15 and 7. In other words, if you don't understand that the fulfillment of scripture is demonstrated by God following through according to his will so that you don't ask amiss, but you ask according to his will, you'll find that he will follow through with what he says. Well, I don't know what his will is. His will is in 66 books from Genesis to Revelation. You see, abiding in the word is not for super saints. It is what God actually expects from each of his children. We also need to abide in him and his word because our still sin affected human nature I know that there's some people that believe that once they came to the level of salvation that somehow that human nature is no longer uh, in effect in their life. That somehow that human condition, that carnality that ruled them before the knowledge of Christ has somehow just disappeared. You fool yourself. Your still sin-affected human nature is present with you. And embracing truth does not come naturally to us. As a matter of fact, if you really pay attention to humanity, humanity would would rather believe a lie than believe what is true. That's why politicians do so well. You see, we have to work at learning. Learning. We have to work at living. We have to allow what God has planted in us, work at it because we were by nature children of wrath. Ephesians 2 and 3, if you don't believe it, read the word. We were by nature children of wrath whose minds were in total rebellion against God. Before I leave today, I just want to encourage you. I wanna show you how you can put the word of God into action in your life. But here's the question that I know that many of you have had. To put the word into action means the word has to remain in you. Well, how do I get his word to remain in me? How do I get his words to reach where God's word has been planted? we need to look at James again to get this answer. You see, after we have received the word, James tells us to be doers of the word. Uh Uh-oh, there's that word instead of just hearers. And he explains why this is necessary as he continues to expound. He says this, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror for once he has looked at himself and gone away he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was but one who looks intently at the perfect law the law of liberty and abides by it not having become a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer this man will be blessed in what he does james 1, 23 through 25 so james says to what look intently at the perfect law he says to let the word liberate you by not being a forgetful hearer of the word but an effectual doer of the word in order to become an effectual doer of the word you must establish a relationship with the word you see a casual reading or study of the word will never produce faithful doing. God is not looking for a one-night stand with you. You cannot enjoy the power of the word of God just once in a while. You see God is like the Lay's commercial or the God's word is like the Lay's commercial. You can't eat just one chip. In John 8 and 31, Jesus says that we are his disciples when? When we abide in his word. I want you to think about an old corded telephone. Now, some of you that are young on here may have never seen a corded telephone, but there was a time when the phones were in two pieces and the handset was connected to a base by uh, a cord. And it can function only when it is connected to the right wires. And when you disconnect the wires, the handset of the phone becomes useless. And when you abide with Jesus, his words, his perspective, his viewpoint on every matter will transform your soul. And here's how you'll know when your soul is being transformed and the spirit is taking over you you'll know because the changes that take place inside of you will become natural as we, uh, uh, rather than being uh, something you have to produce you won't have to force peace you'll just have peace you won't have to force joy You'll just have joy. You won't have to force kindness to those people who really push your buttons. They could push your buttons all day and all night and you will still have peace with them. This relationship and identification with Jesus Christ and his word will let your soul know, hey soul, that's not who we are anymore. We don't talk like that. We don't look at that. We don't treat people like that. We don't judge like that. We don't give up like that. We don't manipulate like that. That's not who we are. Our lives reflect the implanted word that has been received and welcomed into our heart. Now the last aspect I want to uh, explore in this matter of uh, the application of scripture to your life is the need to reflect or to look like the word. Uh, matter of fact, let's look at it um, this way. James says this. He says, If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but, uh, de- uh, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the word. James 1, 26 through 27. Now, don't get get frustrated because I said the word religion because this is what James says. And the word religion, as James is using it here, has to do with our external spiritual activity. Matter of fact, somebody ought to tweet that. You ought to Facebook that. My external spiritual activity, which are the things that other people see and hear me do and say. So James isn't saying that religious activity or what has been referred to as good works saves us. He's talking to believers who have already been brought to life by the word. They're already in the place of salvation. James is saying that genuine faith ought to produce genuine works. It's interesting that James begins with the tongue, a subject that he has a whole lot more to say about in in the third chapter. I don't have time to get there today. But no matter what we may be doing, if we cannot control that little appendage in our mouth, our religion is a waste of time. James says in uh, James 3 and 9 that we use the same mouth, what? To bless God on Sunday and curse people on Monday. Then he asks a very poignant question. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Well, the obvious answer is no. The one proof that you have received the word and are responding to what you have received is detailed in the way you talk. Too often we talk not in alignment with God's perspective, whether we're cursing somebody out or giving somebody a piece of our mind or telling somebody how we would deal with something in our humanity rather than reflecting the will of God. Our commitment to the word of God will also be reflected in what you do, your works. James 1 and 27, he talks about helping the helpless, those who can do nothing for us in return so we're not looking at a business deal here and we're not looking at those things which will make our church look good for uh, you know to the community so that we can uh, potentially get some members or improve our social media status And, and when you are submitted to the word when the truth is getting down into your life people who may otherwise not get noticed suddenly become VIPs very important people You see, serving and helping them becomes a necessity for you. You are incessant about serving others. You see, following Christ will lead us to those who are poor and needy both materially and spiritually. These are the kind of people Jesus sought out and hung out with. And if the word is at work in you, it will reflect in what you do in your personal life and even in your ministry. You see, our commitment also reflects itself in our walk. The challenge here is to keep ourselves unstained by what? the world the world the world by everything that we see all that we see going along to get along people of God what is right is right and the only thing that is right is what God has declared is right and what I'm seeing in the world is wrong and as a child of God I'm compelled by God because there's been transformation in my spirit to not fear what man might do to me but to declare what is simply true according to the word so that I am not stained by the world. I will not cosign or support sin because I am in the world, but not of the world. As a matter of fact, we are supposed to mark the world for Christ, not allow the world to leave its mark on us. What happens when you spill something on your shirt and the stain is really obvious? Well, when people come along, they say things to you like, well, you must have spilled something on your shirt. What they do not say is things like, that's a really nice shirt, except for that little stain. Why don't people say that? Because when you have a stain on your clothes, the stain attracts all the attention. It's the same with our spiritual lives. When you allow the world to stain you by participating in its ways, the stain shows forth. How do you keep the stains of sin off you so you can reflect Christ to the world? You pray what David prayed at the end of Psalm 139, search me, O God. And know my heart, try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in thy everlasting way. In other words, the way you keep from letting the stain of sin spoil God's reflection in you is by opening your heart and life to God's intent. Searching. How does God search us and know us? By the spirit of God, using the word of God to dissect our hearts. Hebrews 4 and 12. You see, we are cracked vessels. We are broken people. We, we, we are dealing with stuff. And there's no doubt about it. And anyone that tells you otherwise is a liar and doesn't even realize their brokenness. I am broken and naked before God. We all have flaws from the pulpit to the door. And the only way to keep a leaky vessel full is to keep the faucet turned on. We have to keep the word of God flowing through us, keeping us filled and clean. It's an absolute necessity. There's no other way to be a genuine growing servant of Jesus Christ and true kingdom citizen other than receiving the word that's been implanted and being personally transformed by it regularly. Then one day, our cracks will be fully repaired once we enter into God's fully established kingdom. Too many of us have compromised the reflection of Christ the reflection of the living word in us because we refuse to allow the word to take root. This is probably one of my most repeated phrases, but it's also one of my most important. If the word of God in you Remains fruit uh, rootless. You will remain fruitless. Matter of fact, you should you should post that. You should tweet that. If the word of God in me remains rootless, I will remain fruitless. You see. This is personal, it's personal. Who am I in relationship with? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish that tells me that there are people that could believe in Jesus and still perish it is not belief alone don't be fooled if you don't believe me the Bible details for us Jesus' encounter with demons. They not only believed in him, but they recognized his authority and they reveal to us their knowledge of a set time for their torment. They try to make a deal with Jesus. They asked the question first, What would you have to do with us, Son of God? Have you come to torment us before our time?, let, let us go into the pigs. And Jesus allows them to go into the pigs and the pigs run off the cliff and die in the water. Jesus allowed them to do this because number one, in this time and season, pigs were unclean. Demons were unclean. So it was not a violation of God's word for an unclean thing to go into an unclean thing. It also demonstrated that the demons were subject to the authority of Christ. They knew that they could not stay in the man. You see, saints of God, I'm here to tell you that just because you know who Jesus is, Just because you recognize his authority, just because you say he is the son of God, the devil says he's the son of God. If you have not received him into your heart, which is revealed by transformation in you, then you are in danger. As a father, I have to always tell my sons what's best for them, not always what they want to hear. Sometimes they like what I say. Sometimes they don't like what I say. But every time I say anything to them, it's about them prospering. Because I love them and don't want them to be lost. God loves you and does not want you to be lost. This is why he said, I sent my son into the world that if you believe in him, you should not perish. In other words, the belief has to take root. It has to work. And the only way for that to happen It's for you to allow the power of his word to mature you, to change you so that you become the image of Jesus. Thank you so much for your time and your attention today. May God bless you and keep you on this Father's Day. May fathers be celebrated. May fathers feel the love of their children. May fathers know the love of them that made them fathers. May this day be a great day. And may we all receive the love of our Holy Father. Be persuaded by the indwelling power and presence of his spirit. Be conformed into the image of his son. So that when that day comes, when the sky is opened and the dead in Christ rise at the sound of the trumpet, that we who are yet alive that have allowed the word of god to take root in us and have allowed the word to transform us can be transformed in the twinkling of an eye in an instant in a blink and meet the dead in christ and forever be with the lord let this be your destiny don't let us disappear for you to only say now I believe because then it will be too late. God bless you. Heaven smile upon you. Have an awesome day.